Hello and welcome to Stick Around, a suicide discussion. If you or someone you love struggle with mental illness, this is the place to be. I'm Kel Bjorn, and I'm passionate about helping others discover ways to find value in their lives. You've got friends, you've got family, you've got plenty of people who want you to stick around. So let's open up and see if we can make a difference. All right, thanks for joining us today, and welcome back to another episode of Stick Around. I'm uh, here today with Morgan Karchner, and for a good portion of Morgan's childhood, he grew up in a small military base in Utah called Dugway Proving Grounds. Since there wasn't much to do, he spent a good majority of his time at the gym. In high school, Morgan participated in almost everything available, cross-country, baseball, basketball, track, theater, and band. By the time Morgan graduated high school, he had already completed his associate's degree as well, and then went on to graduate from Utah State University with a bachelor's in information systems management and now works as a director of engineering for one of the biggest websites on the Wasatch Front in Utah. Morgan and his lovely wife of 10 years have two beautiful children, and he happens to be a big fan of ice cream. Now, Morgan and I have worked together um, at the same company for about a year now, and the reason I wanted to have him on this podcast is because right after my friend died by suicide back in December, Um, Morgan pulled me aside to see how I was doing and he told me that he had once lost a cousin to suicide and could relate. Um, so I really appreciated that, um, to someone that could kind of understand what I was feeling. Obviously for me, it wasn't a family member, but it's the same type of loss. And so Morgan, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is a little bit different because I've been meeting with you on Zoom multiple times today and in different meetings. So it's a little different topic. Um, But let's back up. Can you tell us a little bit about your cousin and um, why you two were so close? Yeah. So for me, it might be good to kind of just go back a little bit into my history to get to why we were so close. Um, Because when I was about five years old, my parents divorced and at the time we were living in Idaho and then we ended up moving back to Utah. Um, I I was with my mom and we moved back to Utah and on my mom's side of the family, um, she's the youngest of four girls. Um, and then her next closest sister in age was eight years apart. So she was, no, she was maybe an oopsie baby. Uh, (laughs) And so, um, with that, my aunt Christine, who was my cousin's mom, Jim, um, she and her husband adopted. They couldn't have kids, so they adopted. And they adopted a little bit later in life. Mm. And so Jim, although Aunt Christine is quite a bit older than my mom, um, Jim is only about two years difference in age for me. Okay. And so when we came back from Idaho and uh I was, you know, living with my grandparents, my mom's parents um at the time we were just over playing at his house quite a bit um and so in summertime we would do a bunch of scout camps and those types of things and we were just around each other all the time so that's how we got really close um you know and then kind of what he was like you know he's just a fun person to be around um he 
generally would just have fun doing whatever it was, but he was always trying to have fun. Uh, but he was a very competitive person. Mm. He played board games, you know, strategy games like Risk, yeah. and he hated to lose. Um, <laughs> but he had that energy, right? He, he was a very energetic person, and you just kind of loved being around him. That's a tough one to lose to because it takes so long. You know so what I mean? Long. Like it takes we, so long, you finally get to the end and you lose. It's like, ugh. There was games where I was like, down. Jim, I'm out, dude. I can't play anymore. We're four, <laughs> we're four hours into this and we're not even halfway done. Yeah. I, I got to do something else. But he just, he was very much into those types of games. Um, very competitive. You know, we, we competed against each other, right, in a, in a fun rivalry type way in a bunch of different sports. And so we, we liked having fun together in that way. That's awesome. So I think you mentioned for a while there before we started the interview that um, he did come at one point and come to live with you, right? How long was that time period? So I was in, I think I was in the eighth grade. He lived with us for a couple months. Um, and the reason being is he, he went to um, West Ridge High School, which is what they called the boys ranch. Mm. Um, his parents decided to send him to there to, to get him some help. Um, there was things going on in his life, right? Being adopted. That's I think a big thing for, um, people who are adopted to try and understand like, why didn't my, you know, parents want me? Why did yeah. they give me up? And there was a lot of that that kind of happened in his life that, um, caused some, caused some things that his parents just didn't know how to deal with they weren't equipped to deal with that type of stuff right being that my aunt yeah. christine was quite a bit older um his dad i think came from a time where you don't talk about those things like yeah. you don't talk about that yeah and so he ended up going to westridge academy and then after he got out of westridge academy he came to live with us um for a little while um to see if that could help a little bit and um so you know, we, we stayed pretty close during that time too, but I think he was only with us for maybe six months or so. Oh, okay. And then he ended up moving with, um, to my aunt, um, Lorley's and he stayed there until he graduated from high school. Gosh, that's a, such an interesting comment that you just made about, you know, having parents that come from a different era where, you know, if you're having a hard time with feelings and, you know, trying to figure things out that it's just something you don't talk about. Right. Yeah. Especially, you know, a lot of times we, we've, that's, this has been brought up in other episodes where men kind of feel that pressure as well growing up and, you know, you watch movies and you got to be macho and you just don't talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah. The stigma that if you're a man, you know, you, you don't talk about that. Yeah. That's tough. I mean, I can't imagine, I, I, you know, obviously don't know what it's like to go through being adopted and wondering where you came from. Um, but to be able to try to find some of those answers and try to get the help that you need. sounds like he was having a pretty rough time with that. Yeah. That was one of the things that, you know, I think is a big factor into kind of how um, he got to the decision of taking his own life. Um, after high school, we stayed in contact fairly regularly still. He ended up joining the military and he would write me letters and, um, even in the military, he had interesting things, you know, going on for himself. Um, he ended up getting involved with 
a woman who was already married and was married to one of the officers there. Oh boy. So, you know, there's, there's things happened there that caused him to, um, to be kicked out of the army. Basically he was uh, discharged from the army. And so like a bunch of these things kind of added up into his life. I think where like me being on the inside, I don't know. It was, it wasn't like, it, it didn't seem like his life was falling apart per se, that he was just like making some decisions that like, right. I would talk to him about it and be like, you know, that's not a good decision. Yeah. But for him, he was like, not like he, he just loved that zest in life and he knew what he wanted, even if it wasn't good for him. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he, he was in the army and he got discharged and then even you know, after that, he would reach out to me and be like, Hey, I think I found my parents. Like, I think oh, I no found way. my, yeah. And at that point, I'd try to have conversations with him about, like, you know, I, I feel, you know, really, really great for you. But like, what if, what if your mom doesn't want to meet you? Yeah. Like, how are you going to handle that situation? And I tried to prepare him and give him those, you know, devil's advocate type situations. But, um, it really kind of devastated him that his mom didn't want to meet him. He oh, up, so he actually did make contact. Yeah. He, he reached out to his grandma, his maternal grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, and she would, she said that I'll reach out to your mom, but I don't know that she's going to want to meet you. Cause at that time, right. When she had Jim, she was a teenager. Yeah. Um, it was one of the BYU football players that got her pregnant and, her dad, right. was a Bishop. And so it was like kind of taboo, right. We're not gonna, Hmm. we're not gonna, you know, it was very interesting situation for, for them. And so she ended up moving to Portland, I think eventually um, and living with her grandparents and then, you know, had the baby and Jim was adopted by my aunt Christine. Yeah. Um, But when she found out, right. She, she decided that she didn't want to meet Jim because she had uh, a family Right. She had grown up. She had married. She had other kids of her own. Yeah. And when Jim kind of found that out, that also, you know, kind of ate away at him. And there's those, those things in life that all kind of built up. Yeah. So did it, did you start to notice, I guess, with these things kind of weighing him down? Cause it sounds like before, even if he had struggles, he still kind of had, like you said, kind of that zest, like, here's what I want to do. Was yeah. there a point where you started to worry that, hey, these things might be a little bit too much for him to handle? I don't know that I ever got to that point. And maybe I should have, right? In terms of there were signs there. It's not that there wasn't signs, but. Yeah. You know, I mean, that would be hard on anybody. So, I mean, it's. Yeah. Obviously, you can't jump at all of those situations and say, you need to get help because that would be really a hard blow for anybody to deal with. Yeah. And his personality was such that, right, kind of just, um, he, he just wanted to have fun. And so when it, something wasn't quite right, he's just like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll figure it out. I'll go have fun. I'll be fine. Yeah. And we'd still try, we talk about a lot of stuff still, but it was, I don't know. I never told him that he should probably get help. And I think in a lot of ways, because of what happened to him with going to Westridge Academy and that his parents thought that that would help him, his experience at Westridge Academy, he hated he despised mm. it. That's not something that he enjoyed at all. And although his parents thought that that would help him, I think he ended up resenting 
his parents for that in, in some ways. And I think also made it hard for him to reach out to get help that he probably needed. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we had those conversations. I probably should have been more upfront with him about him needing to get the help because it wasn't, it was obvious in a lot of ways that he needed to talk to somebody. Yeah. It's really hard to know. I guess at that point in his life, if he already wasn't feeling comfortable enough to have that type of conversation with his parents, was there anybody else that you would have thought would be kind of that go-to person for him? Um, Cause at this know. point you and him aren't, you know, you're not living in the same house together. You know, he's, he's moved on. You have other things going on. So it's not yeah. like you're around him a whole lot. Right. Yeah. Right. And so like, even when some of these things are going on, right. Life still moved on in the sense of I got married, he got married. There were still good things happening in our lives. Um, you know, and we were sharing those moments together still, but yeah, I think the things that just kind of ate away at him, like they still were there, right? It's not like that stuff goes away. Yeah. It's still there even as life is going on. So I don't know if he had a go-to kind of outside of our conversations. Like he had quite a few friends and I'm not sure how much he talked to some of his other close friends about some of that, but yeah. Well, it's, I find it fascinating just because everyone is born into this life with a situation Right. And, and obviously he made some decisions to maybe put him in some situations that weren't good, but then there's also things that happened to him that were completely not by choice, you know, being adopted and then finding out that story and going through rejection all over again. Right. That just makes me think, I mean, there's so many times in life where things are our fault and then they're not. And how do we deal with that and try to get to a point where we're comfortable with who we are as opposed to what's been done to us. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I think for Jim, he had a lot of people who loved him and cared about him. Right? And although maybe some of the decisions that his parents made in terms of sending him to um, Westridge, um, you know, he thought maybe weren't the best. I think his parents, right. They still loved him and tried to care for him as best they could. And yeah, in a lot of it, the decisions that he made is ultimately his choice, which is a hard thing to, you know, once that I learned that Jim had killed himself, there was a point where I had thought back cause he'd called me like two days before and I couldn't answer the phone. And so he just left me a voicemail. It was like, Hey, just wanted to say, I love Jim. You know, I'll talk to you later basically. And it was in that time where I thought like, I should have just answered that call. Like, I don't even remember what I was doing. Like what if I would have just answered it and I could have talked to him and, Maybe things yeah. would be different, but right. Ultimately it was his choice that he made and, and you can play the what if game over and over again, but yeah, you know, you can't, you can't take people's choices away from them. That's true. That seems to be a common theme with the people I've talked to on this topic that somebody in their life is going to have that type of a feeling, whether it's guilt or blame, but in the end, you're exactly right. It was his choice. And I don't know, it was that with even saying that with leaving a voicemail, like something like, Hey, I love you, man. That kind of thing. Was that kind of common with that relationship with him? Um, not always. It kind of depended on where he was at in his life. I had like yeah. in, the, in the military, 
I'd receive letters from him of like, dude, this is rough. Like, I don't know why I did this, you know, yeah. but you know, I love you. And so I'd get those types of letters from him. And so it wasn't totally out of the blue to say yeah, something like that. It wasn't totally out of the blue, but even after listening to it, I kind of, you know, thought about like, like maybe, maybe I should call him back. And I can, it was late at night when he called me, I think. And so I just forgot to call him the next day. Yeah. And then my mom had called me when they had found out that he had killed himself. And I just kind of sat there in disbelief, right? All those emotions that hit you of, I was sad and I was angry, right? Because my relationship with him, it meant a lot to me. And now it was just gone. Yeah. Um, and in a way he took that from me, but, but right. So it's kind of weird, but like, I felt guilty for feeling that way too. Hmm. So it, all those emotions kind of hit you. That's interesting. Like you feel guilty for feeling like he did something to you. Like it's almost like a selfish thought. And then you feel yeah. guilty for that. Yeah. That's, that's a dangerous road to go down. And like you said before, I mean, it was his choice and and it kind of seems like some of the trials that he faced where maybe he felt like a victim. Right. And then if we turn around and do that to ourselves based on what other people do, you're kind of following that same path. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think for me, like the reality is, is, you know, it's fine to have those emotions, but to misplace those emotions is not great. Right. There's always, I can't remember where I heard it, but there's this quote that basically goes like, just because you think something doesn't mean you have to believe it. Hmm. Right. Because your brain is a super powerful thing. Right. And, the more I've kind of studied some of this, like your amygdala, there's this fight or flight, right? And that happens in the amygdala of your brain. And it's happening all the time, even for little decisions, mm. even for little things. And so like, I felt like I was being attacked when, in a way, because he had done this, right? He had taken his own life and that's how it affected me. And I just wanted to, in my, you know, in my brain, it, it, it was an attack on me in a way too, which is kind of weird, but yeah. Right, well, what kind of res response true. were you, were you thinking? Was it fight or flight where you just kind of wanted to run away and just get away from those feelings or like, how did you, how did you handle that? Uh, I was, I'd say I was mostly upset to, to start. Right. But I think that's kind of that fight or flight type deal where you really have to focus in on, like, why is it that I'm upset? Is it because, um, you know, is it because what he did was, you know, something that's attacking me? I mean, it's not, right? It's not my choice. It wasn't my decision. Ultimately, yeah. it's his choice. And so that's that type of, you don't have to believe everything you think. So just going through those thoughts and those emotions and actually trying to process them is, you know, that's a hard thing to do, right? And that's a big part of mental illness is being able to work with somebody to do that. I'm um, getting the tools to be able to do it yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All those emotions definitely hit me. So did you find after, I guess, learning that a little bit of time goes on, how did you, and I guess, how have you coped with that? Because obviously that feeling of sadness doesn't just go away. And if you still look back on those times, that's, there's still a little bit of emotion there, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. Like I, I don't feel angry about it anymore. Like I did when it first happened. Um, and you know, 
I have a good support system around me so I, I can talk about it with my wife and um, really, you know, I've been blessed to, to be able to have a lot of people around me that I can talk to that I, that I feel comfortable talking to. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of times now, I, I think a gym constantly still, it's been that six years almost since mm. in 2014 in September and like really just in the quiet moments by myself, like he'll just pop into my mind and a lot of it's just good memories. And yeah, you know, that's the kind of stuff that people can't take from you. Yeah. And although, you know, those things happened. Um, you know, I, I still remember Jim for the, the way that he made me feel. And I appreciate the time that we had together. That's really cool. I mean, you think about most things in life, if enough time passes, it seems like we tend to remember the good things. You know, I might think of a terrible job I had forever ago as a teenager yeah. or something, but you'll, I'll think of like something fun that was about it, you know, rather than the really difficult times. So, I mean, going through something this tragic to be able to have those moments of remembering the good parts you know, rather than only remembering him as one act at the end of his life really isn't a great memory to have of somebody. Yeah. I know. And like the thing for me too, at the time was like he, he had been married and he ha had a son. Mm. He, they had gotten divorced and I think his son was maybe three or four at the time. And so you know, there was some anger there too, because I had just recently had my son. And so like, I had felt angry about that in terms of like, like you're leaving your son behind basically. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, trying to cope with like, you know, his experience with mine and like having my own son knowing that, you know, like I, I don't know that, that anger that just kind of was there. And so, Yeah. But, you know, and even then, like, there's still good things that happened throughout his life that I can think back on. And I appreciate that we were able to spend that time together. Yeah. That's a great outlook to have. Um, do you think that this experience has changed kind of your approach to life or certain aspects of your life that maybe you were taking for granted before? Yeah, I mean... Definitely, you know, talking about what you're going through, um, you know, after this happened with Jim, it just made me really kind of realize that that's super important, right? That there's so many people that support you and love you that, um, you know, if you just open up and, and try and be, um, try and work through it, that, that you'll have a lot of support, probably more support than you think. And even though people might not be able to empathize right? Maybe they haven't gone through exactly what they're going through. Um, you can give people, you know, more credit than that. They can imagine what it might feel like to them. Yeah. Right? And so they can sympathize with you and try and, you know, help you work through that stuff. Um, but the stigma with talking to a mental health professional, right? Like talking to a therapist, you know, that shouldn't be a big deal. Um, if you need to talk to somebody, talk to a therapist, um, you know, so in terms of that, like my outlook on life, um, and my approach to life, 
I don't think changed dramatically, um, but just those feelings are kind of strengthened. That that's super important. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. I mean, the last thing I was really going to ask you was what kind of advice do you have for people that are going through this type of a loss of a loved one? It seems like that was kind of the answer already to that, but do you have any kind of last point of advice that you'd like to share? I mean, for me, kind of like we talked about, like I felt angry. Um, and I would say like for yourself, don't, don't try and um, dismiss your emotions. Right? Like if you feel angry, go through and try and figure out like, why is it that I'm feeling angry? Really get into the heart of something, not just dismiss it. Cause if, right. If you, once you have those emotions and, and you deal with them, they aren't just going to sit around there and just be festering anymore. Yeah. Even, you know, maybe right for me, it was Jim taking his own life and that didn't necessarily directly affect um, anything that, I was doing at the time. Right. Like, but it's, it was just a huge loss for me. Um, and so just being able to have those emotions and, and really understanding that having those emotions is fine. Like it's, it's okay to feel, um, a certain way and you don't have to believe everything that you're, that you're going through. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that made sense. No, it totally does. I think that's a great, a great approach is kind of allow yourself to grieve, right? There's all kinds of emotions yeah. that go with that. And if you need to talk about that, then you should talk to somebody about that and, and be okay with it. Um, yeah. Lastly, before we wrap up, um, do you have any kind of a resource that you feel is, is really effective for you or for anybody else, whether it's a book or another podcast or anything like that? I don't have anything specific. I know a lot of the resources that, you know, people on the podcast so far have given, um, you know, they're probably good resources to dig into, you know, especially since they're licensed therapists and they've yeah. been in this for a long time. Um, so I, I would definitely recommend what, what they're, what they're saying, because they'd probably be more helpful than anything that I could be given, but hopefully, you know, the experience that I've had, it could resonate with somebody and, yeah, I could help them in that way. Yeah, no worries. I think uh, the the main thing that I learned from your story is just really appreciating the relationships that you do have, um, and not being afraid to kind of reach out a hand and be one to talk to in those types. And and if you are going through struggles, you know whether it's your fault or not, to just be willing to to seek out the help that you need. And there are plenty of people that love you no matter what your, your brain is telling you at the time. So Morgan, thanks for joining me today. I don't get to say this to all my guests, but uh, I'll see you tomorrow in some meeting, I'm sure. Sounds good. Thanks, Kel. Hey, thank you again for listening in today. If you truly are struggling and having suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 273-8255. They are available 24 hours every day and are anxious to help people in need. If you prefer to text, I would recommend the Crisis Text Line. They provide 24-7 support via text message. They're here for everything from anxiety, depression, and suicide. So even if you don't consider yourself suicidal, please text 
home to 741741. That's H-O-M-E to 741741. And simply open up about how you're feeling. Until next time, let's all stick around and help each other find hope and see value in life.